Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Happy Hump Day. Welcome into Soccer Morning here. Brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Very, very excited for today's program. As you should be as well. I uh, We have lined up two fantastic guests to talk soccer. A little bit of European soccer. A little bit of American soccer. We've got headlines to go through. Phone calls to get through later in the program. Get to later in the program. Very excited to talk to you guys. Of course, as always. How could I not be? In the meantime, let's lay out who we've got on this program today. Janusz Michalik, play-by-play announcer for ESPN, Fox Sports, other places. will join us in a couple of minutes to talk about the Champions League round of 16. Two matches yesterday. Two matches today. Chelsea PSG. Bayern Munich in Ukraine to take on Shakhtar Donetsk. Today you have Madrid and Schalke, Madrid in Germany to face Schalke, and obviously Basel and Porto, a game a little bit off the radar for a lot of people. Lots of focus on Madrid. We'll get to all of that stuff with Janish. Uh, perhaps we'll have to talk about some of these other things that are happening around the European game, these troubling things happening around the European game. At 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Craig Weibel, technical director of Real Salt Lake, will join us to talk about the upcoming season for RSL, lots and lots of changes at RSL. That includes Craig Weibel taking that job after after the departure of Garth Lagerway to Seattle. You got lots of new players in the mix, players, iconic players from RSL who have departed. So it's a new look for one of the perennial best teams in Major League Soccer, certainly a contender in the Western Conference every single year. Jeff Kassar's in year two. What can they do to keep pace with the Seattles and the L.A.s and everybody else out west who's making big moves? Should be a very, very good discussion on MLS as we get hopefully closer and closer to the season. Let's do the headlines. Let's dive straight in. Lots of European topics here this morning. First and foremost, Chelsea fans on the train in Paris yesterday. Video taken of those fans before the match against PSG forcing a black man off the train and then several of those fans chanting we are we're racist and that's the way we like it now this has spread like wildfire across social media lots of reaction of course condemnation from various sources including Sepp Blatter who also had some condemnation for Ergo Sacchi that uh, in his comments in Italy the other day And here's the issue for me when it comes to this behavior by Chelsea fans. It is easy to compartmentalize Chelsea fans, this group of fans, and say, oh, look, look, that's typical of Chelsea fans. I'm not saying it is, by the way. This is is what you're seeing out there. Oh, Chelsea fans are terrible. My fans, my Arsenal fans, my United fans, my Liverpool, we would never do nonsense. Nonsense. And I'm not saying that every group is bad saying every group is a cross-section of the society in which it exists. And unfortunately, there's racist fans everywhere. And now you come to the question of what to do about this. Chelsea has, con- has condemned this behavior, as they should, as the club should. There's, an op- there's a chance to identify the individual fans, to name and shame them, to ban them from Chelsea games, get them out, don't let them come to Stamford Bridge ever. There are questions over whether or not the punishment should be Chelsea fans don't get to travel, especially in Europe. Then maybe you play behind closed doors because of this behavior. What do you do? What punishment 
is right for this behavior? What should FIFA, UEFA, the Premier League, whoever wants to step in, Chelsea itself as a club, what should they do? Because my issue isn't that you don't punish. Absolutely, there should be some sort of repercussions for this behavior. But if you, as we've seen with those racist incidents in England over the last couple of years, Luis Suarez and the monkey gestures at Liverpool, what do you do? How, how do you get to the hearts and minds of these people? Now, this is a wider societal issue, and I, I don't want to get into, into the, some big picture macro stuff. And I'm not going to preach, but I don't think playing behind closed doors or banning these individual fans from games will ultimately have the impact that we need to have on these people. Because again, the, 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 hip, the hypocritical nature of sports fans, of soccer fans in this case, is that they'll do this in Paris. Again, just bad visitors. Terrible people. But they'll do this in Paris and then they'll go and they'll cheer for a goal by a black player on their team. You get frustrated and it would be easy to throw up our hands. And again, I think there's something to be said for punishment. But I, my, my bigger concern is where does this behavior come from and how do we address it at the source? How do you make these people understand that not only is their behavior reprehensible, but their mindset is idiotic? All right, let's talk about the results in the Champions League yesterday after Chelsea got to the to the game, after the Chelsea fans managed to make it uh, to Paris. Chelsea and PSG played to a 1-1 draw. You had goals from Cavani and Ivanovic. A, a wonderfully crafted goal by three Chelsea defenders there in Paris. Meanwhile, Zlatan had his chances missed them, or you could say that Thibaut Courtois was fantastic and kept Latan from scoring. You look at that game, and we're going to talk to Yanish about this, certainly looked to me like Chelsea was not themselves, or at least not the dominant or uh, organized Chelsea that we would typically see on the road in Europe in the Champions League. They didn't go up a goal and then lock it down. PSG had chances and missed. In the other match, Shakhtar Donetsk managed to get a Goalless draw with Bayern Munich. An absolutely just drab game from everything I understand. I didn't get to watch much of that. At the same time, Bayern Munich is said to have dominated the proceedings, just not scored. So, you know, they'll be fine going back, you imagine, going back to Germany to play the return leg. But give Donetsk credit for playing 650 miles or 750 miles away from their home building in Donetsk, which is in the conflict zone in Ukraine having not played an important match, a meaningful match, since December, and holding down one of the favorites. A couple of matches today, I mentioned these already. Schalke hosting Real Madrid. Real Madrid's form, Ronaldo's form, up in the air. You would think that maybe Real Madrid, by virtue of their superior talent, will get this done, but we've uh, we've seen stranger things happen. Basel and Porto, the other match in the Champions League. Set Blatter, as I mentioned, condemning the behavior of the Chelsea fans, also condemning the words of Ergo Sachi. His tweet, pride and dignity is not a question of skin color, shocked by his comments. Why are you shocked, Sepp? Maybe you address them, maybe you condemn them, maybe you say that there's no place in the game for them. But how are you possibly shocked? These kind of mindsets are rampant across world football. This is an issue that needs to be addressed, again, at the source. I just read an an excellent article over at SB Nation about the lack of diversity in management in English football. English football is incredibly diverse. 
And yet, how many black managers are in the t- in the top division? Anybody? You have Les Ferdinand at, at QPR, right? As interim, as as a caretaker. These are issues that are across the board in every country. And when an old guy comes out and says there are too many black players in Inter's team in this tournament in Italy, no one should be surprised. Again, call him out on it. Attempt to make him understand why he's wrong. We should address, address, again, address these issues as widely as possible every time these issues come up. And it's not like like it stops because Sachi wasn't talking or because Chelsea fans weren't being racist. It's all the time. Copa Libertadores has gotten underway. A couple of matches uh, yesterday uh, pulling these up. Emelec beating Universidad de Chile. A couple of other results of interest. The strongest beating Internacional. 3-1. Atlas of Mexico falling to Independiente Santa Fe. Finally, Brian Strauss of the uh, Sports Illustrated has reported that MLS could make a decision on expansion franchises as early as June. Clearly, Sacramento has taken the lead. But MLS is known to want to be in Minnesota. Lots of questions around this. Obviously, with David Beckham's team sort of still in play, how does that how does that figure into what MLS will do in the future? Expansion to be a top hot topic throughout the year in MLS. Again, hopefully, we get a season to talk about as well. Let's talk uh, Champions League with Yanis Mahalik. We'll break that down. We'll talk about the the draw in Paris, the draw in Ukraine, and today's matches. Soccer Morning brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. On the line with us now, play-by-play man extraordinaire, Yanis Mihalik. He is uh, currently sitting somewhere in Bristol, Connecticut. I imagine at ESPN headquarters. Yanis, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Jason. Yes, I, I am at ESPN at the moment. Uh, uh, happy to be here, and uh, congratulations on your new home. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, with uh, World Soccer Talk, good people there with Chris and everybody else, so uh, I'm sure you guys are extremely happy with that. We are very excited, and it gives us a little bit more of a platform, especially when we when we talk to you. Always a fantastic discussion. Uh, let's talk some, some Champions League. Uh, round of 16, I, I just outlined or I just reported on the, the results from yesterday. I'm sure a lot of people at least have seen the highlights of that Chelsea-PSG game. That uh, that game, you know, going into it, I, I think we all have our expectations of what Jose Mourinho will do, especially on the road in Europe, Janish. And once uh, once mm. Chelsea was up one nothing uh, through the goal by uh, Bronislav Ivanovic, I, I figured they would manage to shut down PSG. I'm not sure that happened. Well, it didn't happen, but, you know, I mean, the result is preferable. Let's not forget what happened last season, right? Those 3-1, it could have been a lot, uh, a lot worse. And for a while there, you know, Paris Saint-Germain, when they, when they score, remember that five minutes after that, or maybe even 10 minutes, it looked like they're going to run away with it. So again, uh, you have to negotiate two legs. And, and as much as we want to give credit to PSG, because uh, for me, they're, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, right? I yes. mean, uh, you yes. look at, uh, uh, you know, the French league, uninterested at times. And of course, when it comes to big matches, uh, uh, 
um, you know, uh, they can turn on the, uh, the style, of course, because they, they have the quality. And, 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 you know, but they didn't get it uh, done. They didn't see it through, and that's why we can't call them a, a great club yet. Uh, you know, it may be a while, really, because uh, as much as you want to get excited about that performance, and, and I think everybody has been talking about PSG, how well they play, and I think some are knocking uh, uh, Chelsea. You look at PSG, they haven't done anything, really, other than winning, uh, you know, uh, Ligue 1, and, and that, of course, with, with <laughs> those sort of players. So you'd expect that, right? So uh, it, it takes a long, long time to, to, to build that aura, uh, aura that uh, Chelsea have to a certain degree, although uh, I suppose uh, uh, Mourinho uh, would like to win that with Chelsea. He's done it, of course, on a couple occasions, but hasn't done it here. You look at PSG, and again, you're right. I mean, you know, whatever the whatever the way the, the match played out over 90 minutes, clearly Chelsea is absolutely fine with a 1-1 draw in Paris as they go back to Stamford Bridge. But it, you, and you talked about that, that period of dominance for PSG, or the period where they were creating some chances. Cavani scores, but seems to be pr- fairly wasteful. We, we, we know that about him, I guess. And then Zlatan, and, and give Courtois credit for, for keeping those goals out. But at the same time, I'm not sure that Zlatan, uh, you know, if he had those opportunities back, maybe he does something a little different. Yes, I mean, look, I mean, I, I always feel for, for very good players when they go through a period of time uh, like Cavani has had. I mean, we saw a flash, and, you know, that was a typical Cavani goal, wasn't it? I mean, if you get the sort of crosses, Matuidi uh, played an incredible uh, ball to him. I think he needs more, just as much as Falcao in Manchester United needs different sort of game. I mean, it's easy to pile on, and I'm sorry for going away, you know, away from the Champions League, but Falcao is a perfect example. Uh, this man needs service. He works extremely hard. So does Cavani, because, uh, you know, we tend to look at uh, you know players that they're worse and, and it's easy to make fun of them uh, but you look at Cavani, uh, Cavani's work rate just watch him in isolation sometimes what he does how deep he tracks how hard he works and and things don't work for you you know at times Ibrahimovic uh, uh, moments of brilliance uh, on the ball but still you know maybe far away from their best Lavezzi actually uh, uh, you know for me was one of the best uh, Verratti absolutely outstanding but it, it just wasn't enough uh, you know I look at Chelsea and I look at Chelsea that uh, that I think to a degree control that match yes it could have gotten away from them but it didn't and that's important and that's why you know in Champions League you look at teams uh, you know after two legs not just after one so yet yeah, <laughs> it was nice to watch PSG play better because they haven't seen them play like that certainly not uh, in Ligue 1 uh, but that's still for me that's not enough uh, I think Chelsea will be extremely extremely happy with the way uh, they play considering the fact that uh, you know they've had some issues with players being either sick or or maybe maybe not not at their best. Yeah, yeah. Look, you mentioned that, and and clearly bringing Costa back and and having him um, actually in the team. Now, clearly he was uh, he was banned in, in English football for the FA uh, from for uh-huh. the FA Cup incident, and then um, the uh, cold or whatever it was that Cesc Fabregas uh-huh. was suffering from. Those those things obviously limited Chelsea a bit. So I, I guess what we're maybe what we're saying is considering. The issues that Mourinho had, um, you know, the, even this, even not necessarily dominating or, or, or shutting down teams the way that he's been known to in Europe, he still got the job done, full credit. Uh, absolutely. I mean, if I really had to be honest, uh, you know, to me, it, it would be a huge, huge disappointment uh, on PSG side. And and the biggest disappointment of that is that, again, uh, you know, they, they, they treat the Champions League differently. Uh, I think, you know, the, the way you train is the way you play. And I've watched them, of course, uh, in Ligue 1, and they've been struggling, quite uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, with the sort of players they had. Yes, they were missing a number of players, of course, that draw over the weekend 2-2. They lost four players there as well. They lost 
valuable two points. Uh, uh, looking ahead to, to the Champions League, maybe. But again, uh, you know, we're talking about PSG as one of the greatest clubs, certainly one of the richest. And I'm not the one that looks at teams through money because it's easy to, you know, to say, well, you spend money, you've got to play this way. You know, it, it takes time. We know it's not just about money. It's about leadership. It's about uh, the managers. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, you look at uh, Laurent Blanc, and he's not proven uh, uh, yet, at, you know, in this stage, uh, at Champions League level, and Jose Mourinho has. And, and, and that's what I get out of this match. Now, if PSG go to uh, Stanford Bridge and win it, it's a different story. Uh, uh, some of my views on them won't change unless I see that consistency, but um, I think it's, uh, it's going to be very difficult. All of the money that PSG has invested, I mean, clearly the goal is not just to, lead, to win Ligue 1, and they managed to, to get back on top, and that, well, I guess that was step one, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> but really, excuse me, the, really the goal is to win the Champions League. And we've seen this phenomenon with Manchester City as well. You can dump as much money as you want into the team. And yes, you might win a league title. There's nothing to sneeze at there. But when it comes to Europe, it's a different kettle of fish. What is it about? I mean, do you see similarities there? I mean, I don't, I don't want to lump Man City and PSG into the same, same pool necessarily. But they're mm-hmm. certainly, they certainly are new money. Yeah, and you know, and that money doesn't make it uh, doesn't make it easy because it's that perception. Because uh, we tend to look at that. Well, you've spent a lot of money. You got good players. You must win. And, and you know, I I still think it's the beginning beginning of the process uh, for uh, uh, for both sides. Really, I mean, it you know, it, it takes a while. I mean, just look at Real Madrid, uh, La Decima. I mean, look at you know how many Galactical sides they had over the course of ten years. And you look at that team, and they 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 found it hard uh, to win it. So it can you know. We can't look at the game as simple as that. That just because you have money, uh, you know, and you buy great players, uh, you're going to win it. And and it may be a simple view, but it, it it's just like that, uh, really. Uh, you you need a core player. You need a leader. And to me, there's only four or five or six leaders right now in the world, the sort of managers that I that I would think that are capable of it because uh, they encompass the, the the entire club and and their, pers- their 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 personalities take over. They get you to believe in what you want to do and you know Jose Mourinho is, is one of that one of them uh, of course uh, Diego Simeone I mean how, how you know how do you justify success of Diego Simeone and Atletico Madrid when we've seen Atletico Madrid for example for years disappoint you know the Jesus Hill uh, years where they just you know selling buying firing coaches uh, you know it's that personality right now you, you need leaders of men right now and yes they, they need to they need to understand and, and they, they need to know tactics as well of course but uh, but that's what managing is right now and I think and I think you know with all due respect uh, uh, to, to Blanc and, and even to Pellegrini to some degree I think there's a certain amount of softness there in that leadership you know it's quiet in, in both managers there's nothing wrong with that that's not what I'm implying but I, I, I think you know believing you know believing in your manager and willing you know to go to war and you know today John Terry's I, I don't know if you read those views about uh, you know what Mourinho does with uh, Thibaut Courtois and, and Petr Cech uh, I mean they're telling uh, it's, it's not easy so uh, uh, when you have so many players they all want to play especially at clubs like PSG and Manchester City uh, it, it takes a special person I'll tell I couldn't do it. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of chemistry, obviously, uh, and, and sort of the makeup of, of the team. And it, this isn't an issue in, at Manchester. Well, it's not an issue of one individual at Manchester City. It may be several different egos all trying to come together and win something. But but in Paris, you have a an overarching dominant figure in Zlatan Ibrahimovic 
And we know he's mm-hmm. been difficult to work with in the past, and he's had his fallouts with, with various managers. And while he is an extremely talented player, one of the best in the world without question, you just wonder if he undermines Blanc so much that there just can't be that sort of cohesive mentality. Uh, he could. He could. Uh, you know, I, I've often said that, you know, you have a man that's proven himself, I suppose, in, on many, many different teams. It's a difficult personality, but, you know, there are many difficult personalities. If you sure. look at Diego Costa, for example, at Atletico Madrid, uh, I mean, he wasn't easy by any means. Uh, Jose Mourinho found a way uh, to settle him to some degree, I suppose. Uh, uh, but, you know, that's, that, that's par for the course, you know. I mean, sometimes when you're great, you know, uh, there comes, uh, 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 you know, that baggage uh, with with you. So I think it's just, you know, it's either it's either if that's true, and I'm not necessarily sure that it is true, by the way, it's it's how do you sure. complement uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic with the players around him, right? Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that's the problem right now of, you know, you look at in the back, still some question marks uh, uh, for me. I expected a different lineup from PSG, but once again, once David Luiz was put in the midfield, Marquinhos had to go central, and I thought he was absolutely outstanding, you know, with that one exception, maybe on a goal where he he could have done uh, that more and read that, but you know, he—I thought he was going to play right back and play against Azard. Matter of fact, he did a great job in, in helping Van der Veel in that situation. So, you know, it's a great team. Uh, both Manchester City and, and and PSG are going to be fine. It's just finding that formula, of course, uh, and being a manager or couple players that will change this team uh, just a little bit. And I think it's you know, to for me, to some degree, I think it's going to be a little bit easier maybe for Manchester City or a little bit faster than than PSG because uh, I just I just you know think in Premier League you 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 are tested a little bit more than in Ligue 1 that's yeah, obvious it's, it, well, it's, it's obviously a very tough matchup in this round for Manchester City as they have Barcelona first leg next week uh, let's turn to today's uh, well no before we move uh, we've done a PSG and Chelsea a lot Let, very quickly uh, thoughts on Bayern Munich and their performance it was obviously a difficult situation for Shakhtar and they acquitted themselves well by holding down um, one of the best teams in the world yeah, you know, uh, you know, the first and foremost, you know, uh, we're not talking about a Cinderella story here in Shakhtar, you know, and, no, and that's no. what I get out of it. You know, it, it, look, after the first 20 minutes, you know, if Bayern Munich uh, scores early on, which they should have, I think, in my opinion, you know, they, they, they were dominating and they had some looks, uh, uh, more than looks, uh, uh, on goal. You know, it, it's over there. They probably go from strength to strength. They didn't take advantage, of course, and, you know, that's what happens when you play against a, a, a quality opposition. And I think if you look at Shakhtar, I have a feeling that there's still a few that don't really uh, give them the credit that's due. I mean, they've proven over the years in all European competitions how dif- you know how difficult they can be. Obviously, they're they're top heavy in terms of how they attack. You know, with what is it, five, six Brazilians in there, yeah. if memory ser- serves right. And and you know, I, I for one am not surprised because in those big big matches when you withstand that difficult period, and you know that's going to come against a team like Bayern Munich because possession is going to go their way. And when you don't have the ball, you can't play. It's just as simple as that, but just you hoping that uh, you don't give uh, a team like Bayern Munich momentum. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, Bayern Munich will get the job done most likely at home, although Shakhtar's been uh, very, very good away from home. And let's not forget, it seems like every game is away from home uh, to them. So I don't, you know, they, they may be hardened by that. Uh, Bayern Munich obviously hasn't emerged from that uh, uh, winter nap, uh, you know, in Bundesliga just yet. We, we saw that uh, against Wolfsburg, of course. We've, we've seen that in subsequent matches as well. 
the you know uh, you know somewhat deceptive I suppose uh, that win against Hamburg uh, you know which I don't want to take away uh, anything from them uh, you know there's some issues there because you know Robert Lewandowski of course uh, uh, you know was being tested mentally isn't he right uh, didn't start hasn't had uh, uh, the sort of uh, great time that he had uh, at Borussia Dortmund in terms of uh, scoring uh, Pep Guardiola will tinker continue so there's some hope I suppose for Shakhtar. Uh, yeah, and I, and I imagine that the psychological elements of playing in Ukraine aren't just on Shakhtar. They're also, Bayern Munich's going to feel that as well. And, um, you know, wh- wh- whether the game's in, in Donetsk, which clearly it wasn't, or Lviv, or wherever, Bayern Munich's right. going, going into a country that is uh, in turmoil, and that, that's got to have an impact on the players. All right, looking to today's matches, uh, Schalke hosting Real Madrid. You mentioned La Decima. Clearly, it's not a universal thing that you have a, a dominant player and a dominant personality in and can't get past that because Real Madrid has done so with Ronaldo. But he's he's getting a little flack right now, some questions around uh, Ronaldo and his form and the fact that he turned 30 and had a party and they lost that day. Uh, what, do you, what do you see from Real Madrid today against Schalke? Well, I mean, look, again, I'm, I'm not huge on the statistics, but remember last season uh, against Schalke, what happened? You know, there's always, when there's a question mark about a great team or a great player, you know, it's, it's, it's so easy for us to jump, you know, to jump on that and say, you know, there's turmoil. Uh, first and foremost, they have, for me, one of the best managers in the world in Carlo Ancelotti. Um, uh, he knows his team. Uh, I think, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, let's not forget, he, he scores at will just because he hasn't. He's had a suspension. You know, he's, he's you know, the winner of you know Ballon d'Or. Uh, I'd be very, very careful in characterizing Real Madrid in, in in turmoil. I don't think that's what you're saying, but you know, there's maybe a doubt, and you know, every team will go through that. Uh, I think uh, you know, I wouldn't worry uh, too much. Yes, they have some issues, and, and it just goes to show, no matter what you think about these clubs like Manchester City, PSG, and, and Real Madrid, some of the biggest in the world, and, and you say, well, look at the depth they have. Even if they're missing certain players, they should be able to to get through that but you know uh, it, it's not that simple it's not that simple because some of these players you know don't see the pitch as often as they like they may be unhappy of course because they, they expect to play and uh, you know and that plays a role but uh, you know unless a team like Real Madrid loses three or four in a row you know then maybe then I can be roped into a conversation about uh, you know some sort of a decline and, and same and same with Cristiano Ronaldo who of course we all know is, is one of the best professionals in the world in terms of how he looks after himself, how he trains, what he does, and how quickly he can decide a game all by himself. So, uh, 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 you know, I'll wait and see uh, in this one. And uh, I think, you know, uh, big competitions like this, uh, you know, bring out the best and some of the best players. And I wouldn't be surprised once again that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo will be the star of the show. The other match today is is FC Basel hosting Porto, and and look, these are mm. these two clubs are not uh, counted among the biggest in the world uh, anymore. Porto is, is obviously a former champion of this competition. Basel has a a reputation as being a a good side that surprises some teams on occasion. They've done it to Chelsea uh, on a couple of a couple of times. What would what, what do you expect out of out of this match in Switzerland? And then you know, again, between these two clubs. <laughs> Are, are they are they looking at getting past this round and then you know quarterfinals are going to be tough? 
Yeah, this is this may be my favorite fixture uh, uh, actually because you know expect the unexpected with Basel. Of course, you we've seen what they do in Europe to teams. You know, be it Chelsea or or you know Liverpool or or you know some big clubs over the year over the years. And uh, you know, just as I thought, you know, remember years ago when they were in Champions League, and then you know you look at the side and you look how great they were. And I think it was under Gross, Christian Gross, I think. You know, then for a while we haven't heard about them, but their quality and and at home. They're going to be difficult. Uh, Porto, one of my favorite sides. Of course, we all know what they do in the market and how many players they promote, right. how many great players they, they sell. Uh, you know, and even now, if you if you look back, and and you know, I, I, I challenge some uh, to go to Wikipedia and see what sort of players they sold over the years. It's just incredible. And I look at this side right now, and it's still to me incredible. We don't talk about Porto enough, I suppose. Um, you know, only at the time like this. Uh, you know, they, they they've won this competition in the past on the Jose. Mourinho, of course. Uh, I'm not sure if they're capable of, of winning it, but if I look at you know at the team at the team on paper, it's incredible. You know, you look at Jackson Martinez, you look at Oliver, who's on loan from uh, uh, Atletico Madrid, isn't he? Uh, Casemiro, uh, who will be most likely will be back with Real Madrid. Uh, you know, our Mex- you know, our friends from Mexico, and or in this in this case, Herrera, who's for me one of the better uh, 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 midfielders in Europe right now. Uh, you know, incredible. Danilo, of course, and and Sandro to Brazil. Uh, look, it's a very, very good team that I hope is not f- uh, flying under the radar for many. Uh, in terms of Basel, they're just uh, one of those clubs that, again, they're just happy to be talked about every so often. They use this to remind themselves that the, you know there's still place for small, smaller teams and quality exists, especially uh, there at home, although they've been just as good um, away from home. As I mentioned, Chelsea found out, um, and I think Manchester United has as well in the past and again going from memory here and I'm getting older Jason so I could be wrong <laughs> it's okay look I mean there's lots and lots of stuff to try to process and you do as good a job as anybody Yanish Mahalik uh, ES- Yanish ESPN is his Twitter handle you should be following him Yanish uh, I appreciate the time and enjoy the, the matches today we'll talk to you soon sounds good Jason thanks for having me uh, always a pleasure uh, listening to your show appreciate it let's take a break when we come back we're going to grab Craig Weibel technical director of Real Salt Lake we'll talk to him about the 2015 preparations for his club don't go anywhere soccer morning brought to you by world soccer talk Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Back on the air, on the phone with me now. Rookie Technical Director for Real Salt Lake, Craig Weibel. Hi, Craig. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for, thanks for that, man. I feel young again being called a rookie. Uh, you know, I was, I was just thinking to myself <laughs> as I was coming back, when's the last time you were a rookie at anything, Craig? Oh, my God. I guess 2001. I was a rookie in Los Angeles. That was about it. Well, I, I suppose that you did it's have been a while. you did have a rookie season as as a coach, uh, a couple of seasons as an assistant in various places, and now you're the technical director for Real Salt Lake. And, and I guess my first question for you is: Look, we we know RSL's reputation. Um, you know, I, the the virtues of RSL have been extolled in many places around this country as MLS has grown up, and the and the team has succeeded as the with that mantra about the team being the star. But there's been so much turnover 
at RSL the last couple of years, and obviously Garth moving on and Jason moving on and you taking this job, that it makes me wonder, how do you maintain that continuity, that reputation, that, that, that legacy that is what RSL has come to mean? A ton of phone calls, a ton of people mentoring, and, and an open mind. <laughs> I mean, you know, realistically, it's, it's a matter of, uh, of walking in and, and having the knowledge and the open mind to learn, you know. And I've got no issues with calling Garth still and asking for a, a lot of advice. Um, you know, but, but with regards to environment and character and value of the locker room, those things are, are certain, they're established. And it's really the task of maintaining that and bringing the right guys in that fit the, as you put it, you know, the team is the star mold. Not every player fits that, you know? Sure. A lot, there's, there's a, a lot of players think that the player is the star, and a lot of players think that they are the star. So, you know, it's a matter of doing the homework and making sure you bring the right guy in, I think. Well, I imagine that the, the guys who have been there through – you know, the previous uh, era of the club and entering this this new era, if you even think about it that way, the guys like Kyle Beckerman and Javier Morales and uh, Alvaro Savarillo and some other some other guys are important to maintaining that, that, that locker room feeling. And, and when you bring somebody in, they're the guys that have to establish it with the new kids. Uh, absolutely. I mean, those guys are essential. And, and they're also guys that I ask for advice. You know, I don't think, I don't think that a position or a title really gives me the right to ignore any, any fact or, or person within the organization. So, you know, I've, I've talked to Kyle and Nick and, and Javi a lot about what, what they want, what has worked, what guy hasn't worked. You know, there's been a few guys that have come in that haven't worked, but the overall success of the club over the last seven, eight years really has been the unity of the locker room, as you pointed out. So relying on my leaders, uh, coaching staff and, surrounding support system is you know group decisions are generally the best decisions at real what's the first thing you when you got the job when you got hired as technical director you went into the office on day <laughs> day one what's the very first thing that you did panic <laughs> <laughs> uh you know the very first thing i did was walk in on the heels of the expansion draft so i walked in and and we had we had uh, traded Nat Borchers, and we had by loss of mechanism we had lost Chris Winger and Ned Grabavoy, and also Robbie Finley had been picked up in the waivers. So, you know, I walked into a pretty busy time and a pretty pretty intense environment. So my first couple of days were really putting together a, a solid list of potential players and and pursuing those guys. So, you know, and to be honest, it hasn't stopped. We still have one more contract to get signed that I think will get signed today. And that'll finalize our first team roster, at least mm. heading into the season. So it's been busy since day one, but it's been really enjoyable and working with Jeff and the stat technical staff, you know, to get the right guys in has been, been the main focus so far. So it's been soccer, whole lot of soccer, which is good. I, I want to get to some of that roster turnover um, in, in a couple of minutes here, but, but first and foremost, I, let me ask you because we see around this league various organizational structures. Some guys are 
general managers. Some guys like Bruce Arena sort of have both jobs. I don't know what his title is, president or whatever. Uh, you're the technical director at Real Salt Lake. As far as I know, that's a, a new title for the organization. What is what is <laughs> What exactly is your job description, Craig? Because it's not just about the first team and the roster, is it? No. It means I took over everything Garth did, plus the Monarchs, and uh, and I still manage the academy as well. So from top to bottom, I'm in charge of, of soccer and the decisions made therein. Bill Manning is our president, and when I have questions or when when I have a, a disagreement within the structure system, I'll go to Bill. And, uh, and Bill and I have a really good and healthy relationship that pre-existed my taking this position. So uh, with regards to what I do, what technical director means at Real Salt Lake, uh, I'm in charge of soccer from top to bottom. And it's a... Uh, you know, it's a big task, but it's certainly an enjoyable one so far is to set up the structure from when kids enter our academy at 14, 15 years old. And hopefully we're starting to produce the right structure and we're adding the Monarchs this year in the USL. So mm-hmm. adding that step to get guys through our system, in our system, to the first team okay. instead of having to outsource for years at a time and bring kids back and and do that we want to develop this from within i imagine that your to-do list is insane and i won't even uh, ask you about <laughs> it but but let, let's let's focus on the first team and again um you know rsl reputation for the for the very style of play for success in a in a small market in uh, doing things quote-unquote the, the right way i think a lot of people would say that um you lost you mentioned ned gravelvoy he was a linchpin you, you lost chris winger um sebastian velasquez who was an up-and-coming player is gone. You yep. br- you brought back Hamison a lot. What is the how how do you how do you maintain how do you fill those holes for those guys that left? And then what does it mean to have a guy like Alave back? Yeah, part part of filling the holes is also evaluating the the existing roster. So when when you move, for instance, when Sebastian Velasquez gets moved, the first thought is, do you need to replace that exact piece, or do you have a piece? of your roster that you want to develop further, another position. And so there's been a lot of evaluation as to how the roster has been structured positionally. And, and that's, you know, that's played out where the new signings, obviously, as you mentioned, we traded for Hamas and Alave. We signed uh, Demore Phillips, a left back. We signed another holding midfielder because Cole Grossman has also moved on. He's playing for Bob Bradley over in Europe. And, and, you know, Elias Vasquez is a Guatemalan center back. He's great quality, young, and promising years in front of him. So, And he kind of replaces the Carlos Salcedo, who got moved as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of pieces that move. In terms of bringing Thomason back, um, it was a, a bit of a no-brainer in the sense that we're playing in Champions League this year, and, you know, you need guys that not only understand the league now, but understand international competition. And so when we looked at, when we looked at potential players to bring back in as a center back, his name quickly moved to the top of the list in terms of fit, fit the bill as a successful guy on both domestic and international. So, you know, we're trying to build this year, um, to win and compete in multiple competitions. And, and that's, uh, that's an even even more charming task I was <laughs> I, I walked into, <laughs> but uh, but hopefully we got it right. And, you know we've been having a successful preseason so far, and I think the guys the the new faces have really accepted 
the attitude and the environment that we created. And our leadership's been fantastic. Kyle's been with us all year, which has been huge for our locker room and our team. So, You know, I was going to get to that. You know, part of being a successful MLS team is uh, kind of collecting a lot of internationals, guys who are going to represent their country. And you got a couple of Americans, obviously. You've got, uh, you know, Alvaro Salario at the, at the front end for Costa Rica. How, yep. how, do you, how do you deal with the fact that these guys are going to go missing at, at various times during your season? Um, I try to ignore it right now. <laughs> it doesn't, no, wait, I mean, it doesn't impact, you know, it doesn't impact. 22, the, 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 you know, we play, I played soccer, never, never even got invited to a camp, but my goal, my whole career was to represent my country. It's a unique sport in that sense, that that is the apex of, of a career. And, and, you know, the, there's two sides to it, you know, as, as you pointed out, you, you really want these international guys, but there are times where you feel like you get hurt. Uh, you know, stepping into this position, I got to be honest, I, I don't mind looking at, at potential games where we're going to be down four guys, maybe five guys, maybe six guys if we're fortunate and everyone's performing well. I, I just think, you know, it's part of our sport. It's something that if you don't embrace, you complain about. I don't think there's any reason to because every player's goal is to play for their national team. Every fan's goal is to watch their national team. So, you know, these are things for me that are great problems to have. Uh, you, you mentioned the Champions League um, playing on that front, and, and RSL clearly has, uh, in the modern era of the tournament, in the in, in the format that it exists in now, reached gone the farthest, nearly lifted the cup, and that obviously predates your time at RSL. But what kind of legacy does that 2011 run have, and how important is it to everybody involved, uh, despite the turnover, even in the ownership, to get back to that level? Yeah, there's a there's a huge importance placed on it, you know, not only from the league but from the club, from the fan base. The the importance of the Champions Cup it's just grown so much, you know. When I played, I was fortunate. I I, I played in six or seven of them. Obviously, never advanced as far as Real Salt Lake did in eleven, but um, you know, it, back then it really didn't hold the same weight. You know, today it's a it's a real competition that fans look forward to players are really excited about and uh as a staff you know we I, i'll be honest that our owner wants to win that he's made it very very clear so you know and 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 as do we so we're uh we're trying to shape our roster and our schedule and our uh, we're playing out the way that we could possibly if every player stays healthy uh knock wood that we can make sure guys are rested and, and have the legs to to advance you know the the uh you mentioned the monarchs and starting that team in usl mm -hmm. this season uh we saw what uh you know the impact of la galaxy 2 seemed to have on letting some of their other guys their reservists and their younger guys get some development time what is what does the monarchs mean for rsl how do you manage filling up that roster with players that you hope are going to one day be major figures at the club yeah you know first and foremost it means games and it means development on the field. And, you know, that, that hasn't truly existed for, for quite a while uh, across the board for our league and for our organization. So, you know, first and foremost, it, it's, it's the games. It's the 20, 25 games that guys get to play in the midst of training in a great environment. And so, you know, personally, it's, it's undoubtedly one of the reasons LA's success last year was, 
was so consistent. It's, you know, you saw Robbie Rogers went and played games with, with LA too. And Todd Donovan, and you go down the, down the list of the guys that had games to get healthy and get minutes. Um, that's the, that's the mold that hopefully every club is utilizing this year, uh, with the affiliations and with the USL teams. And for us individually, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time researching and that's been a huge portion of this last couple months for me and my USL staff as well is we have done a lot of homework, a lot of legwork and feel like we've signed some very promising young talented players that can not only help us win there, but develop in the first team guys. How does the, the sort of changing landscape of, of MLS and, and look, I mean, we know the CBA is coming, uh, you know, it's being negotiated now. Hopefully everything gets done, knock on wood, et cetera, et cetera. But how does the, the changing landscape and, and when guys like Josie Altidore signing for Toronto, Giovinco signing for Toronto, uh, some of these big names coming back into the league, when you are assessing your place in MLS as, as a club, you know, how do you view those elements? Is there a haves and haves not? thought process at RSL or do you guys just just go about your business the way you've always done we go about our business the way we've the way we've always done it I'm I'm not you know I will inevitably with any leadership change there will be some changes that I make some will be conscious some will be unconscious but with regards to the environment and the way we operate you know we are we are a homework based club we're not a big ticket big ticket buy now club We'll do our research. Our owner has stated many times now that he is interested in bringing in a well-known designated player, a a world-class designated player. But it's a matter of continuing to do our homework and make sure that that guy fits in. You know, the team that got it right, uh, it's it's impossible to argue is you look at Keane in L.A. Mm. and what he's done for that team in that locker room and the way he competes on a daily basis. And that's the guy that, you know, he's the gold standard now. So if we can find another guy that fits into our locker room, the way he's fit into LA, that motivates the guys around him, the way he motivates guys around him, then you will definitely see us signing a big name designated player. But until that day, we continue to do our homework. We bring in guys that are good, that are great players, that are great people and help our environment. That's, that's really the byproduct of, you know, the winning is a byproduct of what Jeff's created inside those walls. You need a guy that fits. Now, part of that is the locker room, but part of that is on the field as well. And if you look at the RSL roster that you guys currently have in place, there's some very, yep. you know, some exciting players here. Uh, Craig, and, and mm-hmm. you know, Joel Plata comes off a fantastic year. Obviously, injuries are a thing for him. Uh, you've got Savarillo up front. You've got Luis Gill, who's an up-and-coming player we all like. How are, and I'm seeing that maybe some uh, some additional wrinkles in the way that you guys are pl- uh, play is, are on the horizon. We we know we know ourselves for the four four uh, four four two diamond that Jason Christ played. Is that something we're going to see consistently in 2015, or will there be something else on on the table? Consistently is an is an interesting word. You know, I think <laughs> the one thing that we'll see is options, and we'll see tactical, um, you know, tactical formation change. And, and really what Jeff's doing this preseason is developing different ways to attack and, and just different looks for the guys to, uh, to fit our talent and our roster. And so I, we, we certainly do believe that we will play the diamond. We also believe that at times we'll look different. So 
you know, it's uh, there's a lot of exciting, as you pointed out, there's a lot of exciting uh, players. There's a ton of attacking options on our roster now. Jordan Allen's getting healthy. Obviously, Joao Plata will come back from his injury strong and healthy. He's doing great right now in his rehab. Uh, you have Sabo, you have Sebastian Jaime, you have Olmez Garcia. You know, the list goes the list, the list goes on, and that's a great, great problem for us to have. And uh, Jeff's tasked with getting all of that talent on the field at the same time. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk. I, I keep I keep hearing it, reading it, and asking about it, about formation change. And, you know, I think it's formation development. Okay. We're not running away from anything, I think. You know, I'll tell you honestly right now, I'm not sure what we're going to look like on opening day in terms of formation, but I can tell you we think we're going to be dangerous in the attack like you insinuated for sure. Craig Weibel, technical director of Real Salt Lake, joining us to talk about this upcoming season. His first in the job, and uh, Craig, I, uh, I appreciate uh, your candor and best of luck on the season. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's take a break. When we come back, Soccer Morning will move into... Uh, the interactive element of the show. Get your phone lines, uh, your phone calls ready. 347-756-6276. Hit us up on Twitter at Soccer Morning. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk, and it's your turn to get in on the program. 347-756-6276 is your phone number. Guillermo's on the line. What's up, Guillermo? Hey, good morning. Uh, great show, man. I just want to throw, uh, throw in my, my two cents on the collective bargaining agreement. Sure. See, I, I'm a labor representative or retired now. And every time that I hear um, that how long can they hold out, right, that, that lights a fire under me because I know that the workers uh, never go to strike uh, about money. It's always about respect. It's always about living uh, conditions that you can actually live with. And I think the, the the employees, in this case, the players, have every right to uh, say, we're not making it now. Sure. Uh, so why, you know, who cares about the money? What they really want is to be able to pick where they can live, right, where they can family uh, grow up. And uh, which brings me to the, the Binko signing, right? Uh, his daughter, I'm not sure if you know this part, uh, his daughter um, is in the spectrum, the autism spectrum. Uh, in Canada, that- it's, uh, the leading experts live in, uh, in Toronto. Th- so the move for him, it's more about money, more than money. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not, family. I'm not, I'm not sure, Gamera. I, I get, I get what you're saying. I'm not sure that that's Giovinco. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the, uh, that's the Belgian center back that that Montreal hired or signed. But I, I get your point. There's absolutely an element, and, and here's the, uh, yeah, Simon. The difference is, and, and the, the point is, and, and I'm sure you would agree with this from a labor perspective, is part of it is the unfair balance between <clears throat> players in the league and players out of the league. If you're a player outside the league. Especially if you're an international, if you're not uh, not an American international, you get to, to go wherever you want to go. Giovinco gets to sign in Toronto because he wants to sign in Toronto. But if you're if you're a player that's with Columbus and your contract's up, you don't have that opportunity. If Toronto wants you, you can't just go sign with them because the league rules prohibit it. And you're and I and I, I I'm with you. It's 100 percent about respect. 
Absolutely. Well, listen, the, the Mexican League has the same setup, and it's awful. And I don't think that we want to copy the bad things uh, of other people. I think the United States has uh, enough money here to sustain four levels, uh, uh, very competitive. It's, it's, it's only the beginning. I mean, I was watching soccer you know, 25 years ago where there was nothing, uh, and uh, the, the changes are incredible. So hopefully they'll just resolve it and share that pie, right? Uh, they, they're making a lot of money. And the Univision contract is going to be amazing for them. I mean, they're, they're running at, you know, constantly. It's going to be as big as the World Cup for them. I think this is going to take off. So great show. I hope they have lots of success and hopefully, uh, you know, continue on. Take it easy. Thank you a lot. Thanks a lot, Guillermo. I appreciate it, man. Uh, yeah, look, there is, there's clearly for the players uh, an, an issue that they want to get this stuff done before the league starts to hit these levels where the, the owners are just going to become more and more entrenched with this notion that our success is built on the back of these of this structure. Our success is built on the back of how we keep costs down. And if the players don't push the envelope now, they may not have that opportunity. You're signing, how long do you think the CBA is going to end up? Because that's another element here. I mean, they, they're going to negotiate over free agency. The players are going to push for it. The owners are going to push back. Who knows what, the, what res- resolution they'll come to. But it's also whether or not the players are going to lock themselves in. They locked themselves into a five-year contract the last time around. That's probably not what they're going to want to do this time. If you go with another five-year contract, there's got to be some serious advancement for the players, not just in terms of allowing them to choose where they want to play via free agency, but increasing levels of growth in terms of the player wage scale. All right. Let me take this opportunity to let you know that we're giving out, or we're giving out. You can get a soccer morning mug. And for those of you watching on video, it's this thing right here. It's a beautiful, beautiful product. You can go to uh, backheel.com slash store, use the code mug, and get free shipping on, on this uh, wonderful thing that you uh, can buy to support the show. 631. You're on the air. Yeah, hey, world, worldwide hey, shipping. Bill from Brooklyn. How you doing? Hey, Bill from Brooklyn. What's going on, my friend? Hey, um, thinking about the CBA thing, I think the owners have a considerable, uh, considerable amount of leverage in the fact that, for the most part, March and early April are not when you get the biggest crowds across MLS, especially in the cities north and east. I, I know the Red Bulls. Uh, I'm a Red Bull supporter. We've never had a sellout. I think before May, for the most part, and we, you know, we'll get big crowds in June, July, and August, but. Those March and April games, except for maybe the home openers, are really dead. Yeah. And I think a lot of owners know that you know they're uh, they are going to save a lot of money by keeping the stadiums closed, by not having to you know pay for uh, you know the, all the staff to come in and the electricity and everything else. Yeah. And they're willing to you know I, I think they could easily let a strike go on for two months without it, it affecting them at all. Maybe I, Orlando would be the only team that would be uh, well, look, adversely the, affected the, by the that. The new the new clubs want the but whether or not NYCFC would save money by not holding games up there and and I don't know what their schedule looks like in March. I mean clearly cold weather in New York is something you want to avoid. I know they open in Orlando. The new teams definitely want the buzz, Bill, and and some something they can build on because that's that's part of their growth down the line. But you're absolutely correct in the fact that we have this upside down uh, dynamic right now where MLS still is not to the point where game day revenue and all of that stuff is really driving profits for the owners. Some of these guys aren't going to see any any black ink until the middle of the year. So why is it a big deal not to play that game in March? Now, the only the only problem, the only hiccup in that logic, and and I agree with you on uh, on terms of their personal um their personal viewpoints, is that the TV contracts that kick in this year apply a lot of pressure that they didn't maybe they don't have otherwise 
I mean, I'll be perfectly honest, as much as I'd love it to be differently, uh, MLS could not happen for all of March to all of April in New York City, and a very small minority of people would actually notice. So well, it, sure, uh, sure. Yeah. But but you can't. But the, then you get into this chicken and egg discussion of how do you even build to the point where March and April are something in the future if you don't have March and April. To, if you're not trying to build on those months now or uh, or next year or the year after, you know what I'm saying? You're if you're missing out on games, you're missing out on an opportunity to sell the product that you're putting out there. NYCFC right now is still this, and, and Orlando City to a certain extent are still these very abstract notions of what soccer teams are until they're playing games until they have a win a loss or a draw in the standings they don't really exist so the the sooner you get that done the sooner you get that out of the way and you say oh look at how they play and here's david via scoring goals the better it is for their for their long-term future hey yank city could get off to a uh, a uh, a rough uh a rough start with the strike here and uh, i'd be uh, be perfectly happy with that and uh also, it would not be the worst thing in the world for me to uh, go out to Red Bull Arena and stand yeah. in thirty degree weather on a Wednesday night. So. It, it, it is, and it's not it's not as 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 good as your point is, Bill. It's not a universal that MLS owners are losing money on early season games across the board. There are certainly owners that look. The reason that TV times had bounced around for so long and it took this long to get locked in. Uh, exclusive television windows is because owners didn't want to to set their schedules based on television because that's not when they get the biggest gates and gates are still the biggest revenue driver for MLS. So even if these owners can take the hit financially and and some of them are so rich that they'll barely notice, they still don't want a business, still businessmen, they still don't want one of their businesses to be losing money hand over fist. So they'll want games to be played so that the ticket sales come in, so that that gate offsets their losses they'd rather lose i don't know a hundred thousand dollars than a million dollars great and uh, anyway thanks for taking my call Jason. and uh, tonight uh copa libertadores uh sao paulo derby it's uh currently in sao paulo at seven o'clock uh, eastern time so. any, any and where can i watch this bill where am i watching this game uh i think i think it's on fox deportes if okay. it's not um right. i think if you have the uh, the fox uh app uh, I think it's Fox Sports Go. You should be able to pick it up. All on right. That. And I think I did hear. Thanks for the call, Bill. I think I did hear that DirecTV uh, subscribers can now have access to Fox Sports Go. So maybe that's why where I'll try to to catch a glimpse of the Sao Paulo Derby. Um, all right. Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. We're talking. Apparently, we're talking CBA. I'm not, I'm okay with that discussion. It's not really where we were going today. You've got these Champions League matches happening right now. Round of sixteen. Good discussion there with Yanis Mihalik. And obviously, RSL looking forward to their new season. I have a comment on Twitter from the Soccer Swell. Issue that RSL new technical director has no idea what we will what will look like on opening day. Is that reactive instead of proactive? Well, look, he is the technical director. He's not the head coach. Ultimately, it's Jeff Kassar's decision on how RSL will play in 2014 or 2015. But I think what he's trying to do is lay the, the groundwork for tactical flexibility that may serve RSL well. Again, and they played a 4-3-3 in the past. Let's not, let's not act like they've stuck to that 4-4-2 diamond uh, exclusively over the last couple of years. They've gone to some other formations when it benefited them. And when you have Plata, Savarillo, uh, um, uh, who am I missing? Uh, a bunch of guys. I'm, I'm missing a bunch of guys. Omas Garcia, um, uh, Luis Gill, Javier Morales, Luke Moholland. Th- when you have these players, you need to find a way to get the best 
team on the field, the most effective team on the field. Maybe that's not the diamond for them this year, and yet that has become their identity for so long that it's a little bit, it, It's it, for Craig Weibel, it would be wrong to say we're definitely going to go to the 4-3-3 or we're definitely going to play the diamond because sure, I'm sure that has a hold over the club long term. 347-756-6276. Daniel on Twitter would be interesting to know if owners actually make year-to-year profit or all bank on franchise value. I'm sure some make some profit. I'm sure some some are counting on the fact that that franchise value is going up and up and up. And remember that that's part of the deal here. When a when a rich guy buys a sports team, whether it's a an MLS franchise, which is owner operator, we're all in this together, or it's an NFL franchise, or if it's a soccer club in England or Spain or France or wherever. Ultimately, what they're banking on is that that team is going to be more valuable when they sell it than when they bought it. They're not necessarily trying to pull profits out of that team. That revenue, more more often than not, is better served being pumped back into the team to help grow it so that the value goes up. Because that's supposed to outpace whatever dollars or pounds or euros you pull out of that club on a year-to-year basis. And generally speaking, at least in England and in a lot of places around Europe, soccer clubs are not a great investment. You're going to actually lose some money. They're not always, it's not always as clear cut as the values this today. It'll be 75%, 50%, 25% more when I'm ready to sell. That doesn't happen all the time. It's happened in MLS. And this is why MLS is so attractive to to these people looking to get in on expansion, to people like Sheikh Mansour, to people like David Beckham, to anybody, Merritt Paulson and uh, and Clark Hunt. And well, maybe not Clark Hunt because that was way back when he bought in, not knowing what the future of the league would be. But you don't think that Robert Kraft is sitting around cackling somewhere that the value of his franchise, even though he doesn't have his own soccer stadium, even though his team is a second-rate tenant in an NFL building, even though they've never won an MLS Cup but have managed to put together competitive teams? You don't think he's cackling over the fact that his team is probably worth 100% more than when he bought it? Now, he's put a lot of money into the league, and those offset whatever profit he would make from a sale of the New England Revolution. And we already know that the New England Revolution are essentially, I'm not going to say a, I don't know, write-off for the Crafts. Maybe that's not fair. I think Jonathan Kraft cares about the revolution on some level. But you also have that inequity between the Patriots and the revolution that continues to hold. 347-756-6276 here for a couple more minutes if you want to jump in. Maybe you want to comment on the fact that Ronaldo got hit in the face with a snowball in New York. That's, That's fun. Is that not fun? And I'm a little surprised that nobody has any comments. Nobody wants to share their thoughts on what happened in Paris with those Chelsea fans. I don't want to ignore what happened in Paris with those Chelsea fans. I think it's important to talk about. It. And again, what's the what's the relevant punishment? What's the thing that they should be done either to Chelsea, to those fans? What can you possibly do that's going to have some sort of impact? We've seen... Clubs get hit for their fans' racist chants, racist behavior, violent behavior. And 
playing games being played behind closed doors doesn't seem to have any impact. It just it doesn't seem to make a difference. These are such embedded elements in a lot of cases. I don't know about in London. I don't I don't know whether or not Chelsea has a racist strain of fans that infect everything that happens there. And we've seen how some clubs are hijacked by their far right wing groups or by a group of fans who who are who act in this in this manner. And it's un, it's sad actually. It's sad that, look, Lazio's got a reputation. Why does Lazio have that reputation? Because of some of their fans or because of all of their fans? 702, you're on the air. Hey, man, it's Jason in Las Vegas. What's happening? What's going on in Vegas? Um, no, digging the CBA chat. Um, I think it's just a sign that Ameri- we really care more about MLS than we care about the European leagues. I mean, Oxford well, One they- has been an EPL and Bundesliga follower for since the early 90s when I went to military school and we got this one weird cable channel that carried <laughs> soccer twice a week. And I don't care at all anymore. I only care about MLS. I have not watched any other Premier League this year. I haven't watched any Bundesliga, and I couldn't care less. No, fair enough. And I think that this show in particular, look, we're it's I'm an American. I bring an American perspective. I think most of the time we're talking about, we're not just talking about American topics, but we're talking about it from an American viewpoint. And I think this makes people uncomfortable. Daniel on Twitter has a good point. We don't see this here. I'm not going to say that there aren't racist fans of various teams. I think there certainly are. But we don't see groups of fans outwardly vocalizing their racism in public like this. And I don't know that that necessarily makes it better or worse. It's sad either way. But we, I don't know that we understand how to deal with this stuff. Um, I, I don't know. Well, Go ahead. I don't know. It, personally, I'm one of those people, I don't care. Racism isn't the biggest problem in the world. And if a few fans say a couple things at a game, um, I'm, I'm just more in line with the Josie Altador way of handling it. Um, okay. You know, I mean, as far I, okay. as everybody knows that Lazio is the, part, is the club of the fascist party in Italy. So sure, I think sometimes Americans don't understand that we do our sports by franchises, and you know we have a we have a big mascot, you know, like the Bulldogs, and you know we we go to our game, and that's kind of where it ends for us. Sports is kind of art is kind of where Americans get away from religion and politics, and you know all the it's stuff that gets people point. riled up. Yeah. No, and in Europe, and in Europe, all the clubs formed based on political, religious, and ethnic affiliation. Not, so, not all of them, but 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 you're right. I mean, obviously, Scotland and Celtic and Rangers, and, and and as you said, Lazio, and there are clubs that you know. Obviously, Millwall's got a reputation for for what kind of fan they particular uh, they they usually attract in their particular areas. So I, I get what you're saying. It is it is it is a foreign concept for us, but I think it's certainly worth talking about. What happened on that train? You got anything else, man, before I let you go? Uh, yeah. Um, Long term, I've uh, been supporting MLS since the beginning of the league. If the CBA does not at least give some movement to players and a bump in the minimum salary, I'm not supporting it anymore. Okay. All right. Thanks for the phone call. I, maybe I'll put that to people and we can talk about that tomorrow. If MLS does not back down, hand the players free agency. And he mentioned some salary increases as well. I mean, I th- certainly think that's part of it. But let's just keep it to free agency. If ML- if the MLS owners win out and there is no free agency in this league, 
Are you sticking around? I feel like a lot of people are on the player's side, and this may be a breaking point for some people. Five seven one, you're on the air. Hey, what's going on, Jason? It's uh, Alex out in Nova. What's on? What's going on, Alex? Hey, I was just wanted to talk about that. Uh, I guess that video. Of what happened out in London, man? If Paris, if Chelsea or Paris, excuse me, where that happened, you can't tolerate this kind of stuff. So FIFA's running these ads. Say no to racism. You're seeing them all the time during these games. You can't tolerate this kind of stuff in the game. Okay, if it's related to something else outside of football, fine, whatever. But if they're saying that's we're fans, that's the way we like it, that's the kind of culture that they're okay with in their stadium, that you you can't PSG, you can't tolerate that. But, in the stadium, but again, if they do advance, it has to be they have to play behind closed doors. Okay, you so can't, Alex, you can't Alex, tolerate that kind of again. So you're advocating punishing Chelsea as a club, the entire fan base of Chelsea. I'm sure, which uh, is majority, large majority, not racist. You're gonna you're gonna advocate that kind of punishment to 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 single out a couple of racist fans on a train in Paris. And again, I don't, I'm not, I'm not making any judgments about how racist yeah. Chelsea fans are. And what does this, what does it accomplish? Do you think? I'm not, I'm not saying it wouldn't accomplish anything, but I'm just curious. Does that really send a message? It it it, it addresses the behavior. So maybe Chelsea fans aren't racist in public again. Is that is that is that good enough? I guess. It's okay. What whatever they want to do outside of football, honestly, if they're going to be a deplorable person like that, let them. <laughs> Inside football, the, the culture that they're cultivating, their their fans are saying we su- we support this club. This is how we feel. That's how we like it. Come on. Okay. Like no, that. no, you're right. You're right. You and, gotta, and look, and, and and Chelsea as a club has to deal with this themselves because that reflects on them. Now, the the thing about this, sports fandom is opt in. There's no test. You don't have to get qualified to be a Chelsea fan or a, or a Arsenal fan or a Manchester United fan. You can be a fan of whatever club you want. So at some level, we're talking about whether or not the responsibility falls to Chelsea. Now, they, they have to sort of nip it in the bud. But again, I, I wonder if it's right to punish Chelsea by making them play a Champions League game behind closed doors or kicking them out of the Champions League, as I've heard a couple of people nah, express. I wouldn't do that. I, I'm just saying, like, where is the law? And I'm not advocating a light hand here. I am. Uh, uh, racism is abhorrent on any level. These fans should absolutely be banned and their season tickets stripped if they have them. They should not be allowed to travel to games again if you can manage that. Yeah. I, I just. I, or maybe maybe just a regular Premier League season game, but there there has to be they have to make a statement, some something. You can't yeah. go silent on well, this. I, something I mean, again, has to be said by Chelsea. I, the, the 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 ultimate problem of racism is not going to be impacted by whether you play a game behind closed doors. And and as you said, maybe maybe we just have to take the attitude that they want to be racist in their in their personal lives and keep it away <laughs> from football. There's nothing we can do about it. We might as well yeah. just just forget. Uh, about that part that's the part that troubles me though obviously as a human being but i get it from a football perspective you have to address it on some level alex i appreciate the phone call man thanks a lot no problem man congrats on the new show look forward to it all right there you go all right guys um, i'm getting some tweets here we've got brian who wants me to give an opinion on the indy 11 kit it's pretty spectacular actually very nice red and blue stripes i i like that a little honda uh sponsorship there in the middle it's nice All right, make sure you go to iTunes. Give us a rating and a review for Soccer Morning. Helps us out a lot. Remember, World Soccer Talk, worldsoccertalk.com slash live is where you can check out the show every weekday morning from 10 to 11, 15 Eastern. Hit us up up on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. Make sure you're following. 
Anything else? Go get a mug. Backheel.com slash store uh, is where you can find the mug. If you use the code mug, you get free shipping worldwide. Good stuff there. It's uh, Let me show that let me show that off. We'll do my little Vanna White thing here. There you go. All right. Thank you very much to Yanis Mihalik for his, uh, in, his take on the Champions League situation and to Craig Weibel from RSL for his insight into his club's preparations for 2015. We'll be back tomorrow. Big Thursday edition of the program. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. See you then. Bye.